the Intersection Education Podcast. Schools are the place where different institutions, services, and societal influences meet. In other words, they're at the intersection of children's lives. In the Intersection Education Podcast, we speak with insiders and outsiders of the education world to try to gain new insight and improve our schools. Hi, and welcome to the Intersection Education Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Haley. Today, we'll hear from Terry Lynn Guimond, and the focus of this episode is on learning sprints. Terry Lynn is a lead learner who serves as principal with Evergreen Catholic Schools in Spruce Grove, Alberta. She's an avid consumer of knowledge and seeker of change. In her more than 20 years in education, Terry Lynn has explored learning in all grades from kindergarten to grade 12, and as a result, brings a systems-focused mindset to school-based problems of practice. In this episode, we will focus on learning sprints. This is a way of organizing teacher learning in short cycles with the goal of improving student success. A learning sprint first involves a team learning about a practice that they believe will positively affect student performance, then running a sprint, which means to put the practice into place and evaluate the impact. Here's my conversation with Terry Lynn. Let's start off with, uh, for people who are a little bit unsure about Agile, this um, this podcast or this interview, it, it does deal with um, Agile and learning sprints and stuff like that. And, and for those who have never really heard of this, maybe start with explaining what a learning sprint is in the simplest way you can. Right. Um, to When we first started doing learning sprints, to me, the essence of it is taking one outcome with one small group of students and applying evidence-based or research-based practices for a short period of time and evaluating the impact that that has. So it's these small iterative cycles of what can we do with the target group of students for a certain period of time, and then let's take a look about at that and reflect on it. That's great. Yeah, that sounds, I think, for those that might not know, now, you talked about when you started. How did you first hear about Agile Schools and Learning Sprints? Right. So the founder of Agile Schools, Simon Breakspear, has had a, a presence in Alberta for about three and a half years now. And our school division was uh, lucky enough to start uh, doing some work with him early on. Um, specifically about Learning Sprints, um, Agile Schools partnered up with the ATA to create the ATA Agile Network. And at that time, a year and a half ago, the focus was on numeracy and K-9. And there was a call out to school boards and schools to participate in that initiative. And Evergreen Catholic was a school board that got on uh, at that time. And then my school was one of the first in our school division to uh, get involved in that initiative. That sounds great. When you originally got on board and when you heard about this, what were some of the things that you were um, looking to solve or looking to change in your particular context with this methodology? Well, there were a couple of things. Uh, we had had a lot, uh, some access to Simon through the Educational Leadership Academy uh, two summers previous, and he had done a lot of this starting about um, taking a look at teacher practices, empowering teacher teams, and starting how 
how can we look at problems we're solving in our school? And it's safe to say that in Alberta as a whole numeracy, uh, K to nine for sure, uh, has been a problem. And so for me at St. Marguerite's school, I knew that those numeracy was something that we needed to tackle. Secondly, we had professional learning communities or PLCs that were seemingly having little to no impact at all. And not that the time together wasn't valuable and that there wasn't great conversations, but it never translated to anything into the classroom for improvement in student learning. So the problem, it was twofold. It looked at numeracy for us and then it gave some traction to a new format for PLCs. Great. Now, let's get a little bit into the nitty-gritty here. So, okay, you get into this, you hear about these learning sprints. Mm -hmm. What was the first thing, the first person, Mm -hmm. the first conversation that you had to get this ball rolling, um, and that is learning sprints in place in your school? So the very first time that we met at Barnett House, uh, we were encouraged to bring one or two teachers at most with us. So the very first thing that we had to do was look at a teacher who we knew would be on board and who would be willing to try uh, the methodology or some of the aspects of the methodology. So the first thing that you have to do, I think, if you're a principal looking to start the sprints is look for who those bright spots are. Somebody that you know is going to be open to having the conversation and looking at their own practices and diving a little bit into what research says are best practices and really having that critical eye and saying, hey, listen, I'm willing to try something to improve student learning. Now, did you, when you were putting this in place, did you did you use only that person for your first learning sprint or did you bring that person back and did they present to a larger group? How did you... So I had, yeah, so I had one teacher, grade four teacher, and I also brought my instructional coach. Uh, with me. And at that time, I already had a vision of building this group to the total grade level by the end of the year. So at that very first time that we met, it was in February. And we just kind of got our heads wrapped around the notion of a sprint. By the time we met again in April, we brought two more teachers on board so that we had a complete grade level plus the instructional coach. And the role of the instructional coach then was to um, kind of help facilitate the sprints um, from best practices point of view. She was the one that really uh, met with the group, um, brought some of those uh, best practices and research-based practices to the team for them to look at. And so kind of, so that would be what a two month rollout, kind of a two month where you had two people on board and then two months later you got a couple more people on board and slowly built. Now, what did, what did it look like after uh, that first year? So February to June, um, how many people did you have? And then who did you come back with in September? Right. So at that time, this is what I always say is that our first sprint that we did as a, as a team in grade four actually, uh, in some ways was a failure, but it was a, a failure in a way that we learned from it and we learned what we had to do better in order to plan the next sprint. Um, so that was a really great learning process for us because we had collected student data. We thought we had a really well laid out, um, 
activities for the kids to do. We had a really clearly defined problem we're solving about fat fluency. But in the end, all we asked was for the kids to do different activities. There was zero change in teaching practice. So we knew after gathering some post data that students had a a little bit of an increase in fat fluency, but then they plateaued out. And when we looked back on what we had planned for the sprint, it was really clear to us that we had made uh, a really, we missed the boat on adding in that idea of what are best practices. So when we planned another sprint and as we went towards the end of June, we really narrowed in on what were good teaching practices related to fact fluency and automaticity for students in um, grade four or five environment. And that led us to the research of a, a researcher down in the United States. And then that really started the ball rolling. So by the end of June at that year, that one little group then presented their findings to the whole staff. That's great. So now it gets bigger and uh, the next kind of iteration uh, happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, What would you say would be the the biggest challenge that you've had to overcome? Uh, Maybe in those early stages, but definitely not as a whole school rollout. But in those early stages, what was the biggest thing that you felt that you perhaps encountered, the challenge that you needed to, to talk through and as a team really learn about? One of the big things as a group... Um, grade level teams, um, it was for me to be able to give them permission that it didn't have to be so big, really going down and defining the outcome to the smallest possible um, target. And when it gets so small, it feels silly. That's the perfect place to start. It's the perfect place to start. And really knowing that, of course, you're going to still continue teaching the other 20, 22 kids in the class. But for the purpose of the next four weeks, you're really going to have a, a focus on helping these two or three students in a particular area. So that was one of the challenges, just getting teachers giving themselves permission to really narrow their focus related to that. The second thing was, I think teachers are so busy, it's hard for them to know necessarily what the research is saying about any given area, whether it be literacy, whether it be numeracy. Um, so that has been something that I've taken on as the instructional leader in the school, is once I know the area that they are working on, then I tend to do some of the legwork and I work with the instructional coach on finding out what are some evidence-based practices related to their, their overarching goal or area. So now you've rolled this out to your whole school and I imagine not every uh, staff was, was, was jumping up and down saying, Oh, pick me, pick me, the new initiative, the new thing. Um, what do you think that the most skeptical people that you presented this to said about learning sprints what would the the what would you say the person that you had to do the biggest sell job what were they saying about learning sprints to to try and convince you that no they didn't need to buy in uh, I wouldn't say necessarily a lot of people on my staff but what I hear uh, I have heard it in in my school and in other schools is that we've already done something similar to this and I find that really, really hard to believe when you really take a look at what sprints do and the purpose and how they're rolled out. It's unlike anything that I've 
ever come across. And so for me as a principal, when I'm looking at um, spending money on having teachers come together in a professional learning uh, community, I really want to make sure that that time is of value. So a professional learning community is not learning sprints. Learning sprints is what you can do. It's the process that you can use in a professional learning community. So that's what I said to them. Did you think about um, how many initiatives were on your teacher's plate when you put this in? And, and what I mean by that is often we, we, we put in new initiatives and we pile them on to other new initiatives. And, and as we go through, what I'm interested to know is, did you consciously take anything off their plates? Did you say, this is important and we're not going to do these other things? What, did you think about that as you were rolling it out? I did. And I think it, that that's really important, Corey, because... You know, we, schools are dumping grounds for a lot of different types of initiatives and, and they're all good, but really the heart of what a school does is teaches kids. And if we're not constantly moving towards improving, uh, teaching practices to improve student outcomes, nothing else really I shouldn't say that nothing else really matters, but it's, it's imperative to the work that we do. So I took a step back from some of the things like we were going full bore on, I would say two or three other areas that we were just giving all of our time and energy to. And it wasn't that they weren't important, but we took a little bit of a step back. And you know what? To be honest, that gave teachers a little bit of a breather. And now we use sprints to move those areas forward. So it's not that I have to pick one or the other because sprints now becomes the way that we do those things that we need to do when we're implementing initiatives or change within our school context. Now, I know you're at the school level, so a principal. Did you have to... Um, did you engage with the people at the divisional office, the people above you, whether that be superintendents or associate mm-hmm. superintendents mm-hmm. Or, or, or whatever that role is, uh, did you feel like you had that support from, I mean, down to teacher, to yourself as principal and then above? Uh, do you feel that that was important if you did? Yeah, we did for sure. So as um, uh, administrator core for Evergreen Catholic, we have the opportunity to come together as a group one time per month. And we have PD that's led from within the group. Our associate superintendent, uh, Dave Dempsey, has had his hands in the Agile Schools methodology for as long as Simon's been on board with us. So we have had um, continued support in PD and, and looking at best practices, looking at research-based evidence, even at the administrative level so that we can take what we need from that to bring it to our teachers uh, in the classroom. I was talking to someone the other day. Were you now? <laughs> yeah, I was. Corey. I know. Was I, it Dave Dempsey? It from- wasn't, actually. <laughs> and um, they were convinced, uh, or they felt pretty strongly, that, that having this different approach actually made them uh, happier about their job. And, and this struck me because I know workload is a, is a huge issue here in Alberta. And I think teacher workload is, is a big issue throughout the world. Would you, 
do you agree with that? That it that it that it increases his happiness at school, or maybe even he felt he felt a bit better about uh, coming back and and what he could do. He felt what what he had control over in his classroom. I I really agree with that. As a matter of fact, uh, I often talk when I talk about sprints. And having um, had all teachers participate in them now, you're right. We are in a profession that calls us to be on all the time. And, and there's many of us that do feel overwhelmed. And I think in the past, whenever new um, schools of thinking about teaching and learning come across, critical thinking, um, project-based learning, learning with technology, they come in and they're so big and teachers want to do what's best and they want to try all those things, but it's so overwhelming for them because it's all the kids all the time, every subject area. And what Sprints does for teachers, and I've learned this firsthand, is that even my teacher who's been teaching for over 30 years, after having worked in a Sprint with a small group of kids for four weeks and have success with only two out of those three kids is so happy for them. And they get that hit of dopamine that goes along with that, that makes them want to go back and try and do again for some more kids. So I absolutely think it sprints has a impact on making teachers and kids happier. Okay, we were talking, uh, we talked about learning sprints a lot. Let's move on to, to maybe just education in general. I know as a principal, uh, sometimes you, you get a lot of brand new grads out of um, applying for jobs at your school and whatnot. And you have to work with them. And a lot of them are amazing. And, and many, uh, I know in my personal experience, are perhaps not quite as prepared as they could be. Looking back and thinking about your experience, what is one thing that you would change about teacher preparation in universities here in Canada? What would you what would what would you do if you could uh, wave the magic wand and do anything and prepare university grads a bit differently? Yeah, I think uh, you know, being a principal, uh, most of the student teachers that I've had my experience with have come from the University of Alberta, but we're seeing uh, a lot of our elementary teachers coming out of Concordia, and they kind of have a little bit of a different model um, compared to the University of Alberta. And I like what I am seeing from Concordia University. And how does that model different? Yeah. So people who, you know, regardless of what the university is, mm-hmm. how do you think that that, that model is, is, is better or different? I think what they do really well is that they have teacher uh, pre-service teachers in classrooms for longer periods of time. Uh, over a longer period of time. So if there was one thing that I could change is just get those kids to have access to real teachers with real kids in real classrooms. And so they have opportunities to see a variety of different contexts, to be exposed to a variety of different um, learning environments, teaching styles, that they can be pulled in. I mean, these are the people that should be accessing the latest in teaching practices, the latest in new methodologies surrounding um, teaching and learning. Um, I would love to see them in getting more experience in classrooms with teachers and with kids. Now, do you think the time, do you think when that is in their degree program is, is important? Do you think... Do because right now it seems like most of our, uh, at least in Canada, uh, most of the practicums happen after the second year. Do you think that that, that when they get into classrooms has an effect? 
I do. I do. I don't think that there's, if you are in the faculty of education in your first year in education, I don't see why you can't have an opportunity to go out into schools and be in schools at that time. Because I think for them in their first year, there's an opportunity there to be exposed to what the reality of teaching is. Even if it's from just a a really bird's eye view or a fly on the wall type of experience, to get the reality in your first year is a lot better than maybe making all your way to the second semester of your third year and realizing, you know what, this actually isn't for me. So (laughs) I just think having that opportunity to get those pre-service teachers into classrooms. That's great. Mm -hmm. I want to talk to you about your, your, the division that you work for. Now, uh, we are in uh, Alberta right now, and uh, I know that Alberta and Saskatchewan and, and, and some other places in the world, I know in some places in Australia, but, but not very many places, have both a publicly funded education system, which we call a public system, but then also a publicly funded uh, Catholic system. And, and you work in one of these publicly funded Catholic school districts. How do you think that that, or do you think that it has an effect on your practice? Or how do you think that that has an effect on, on what you do and, and how you deal with kids? Uh, maybe just talk to me about your experiences there. And, and, and maybe even for some of the people who, who don't really understand, maybe kind of explaining what that might look like. Yeah. A publicly yeah. funded, Catholic system, uh, denominational, yeah. like Catholic in our case, yeah. um, school system. Right. So uh, the thing that's uh, interesting about my experience is that I've only ever worked in a Catholic school division. So I can't really say what it's like to work in a, in a, in the public system. But obviously the gospel values is the foundation of everything that we do. And it's not just about saying your lunch prayers or saying the morning prayer or uh, taking religion class. Our faith is uh, infused into everything that we do in our school. And I, when people come into our school, they, they say, you know, there's just something different about St. Marguerite School or St. John Paul II School or St. Thomas School, any of the schools that I've worked in. And that's the presence of our faith in everything that we do, not just compartmentalized to 25 minutes before recess or whatever it is. So for me, it's been, it, it's been a great uh, blessing to work in a Catholic school division. Um, and I'm very proud to do so. Great. Yeah. I just think that's uh, a bit different. It's interesting. You know, it's it's an things... interesting context. And there's not, yeah. there's not, uh, it's not like there aren't challenges related to that. Of course, yeah. Um, but I, uh, I feel very lucky to have worked uh, with Evergreen Catholic and, and supporting Catholic education in the province of Alberta. All right. Now get into a little bit of your story a bit more. Now think back on your career. Um, uh, maybe as a teacher or even in a, as an administrator, what would you say were perhaps some of the, maybe pick one, biggest success? Is there something that, that sticks out? And, and I hope there there's something, but maybe even uh, one of the times when you felt like, oh man, what a, uh, an experience that you had that really pushed you. Uh, I don't want to categorize it as a failure, but no, a lived experience where you learned a lot. So biggest success perhaps, and then biggest moment of learning that you've had in your career so far. Yeah, for me, that's uh that's a really easy question because I've had an opportunity in our, we're a small school district, 10 schools, uh, two communities that are close to one another. So I've had an opportunity to work within those two communities, um, first starting off in a K-4 to school. 
Then I moved to uh, our secondary community where I worked in the K to eight school. So I started with a group of kids in at St. Joseph's School for nine years. And I worked there. I taught kindergarten for six of those years. Then I moved to a K to eight school in which I worked with all kids from uh, kindergarten to grade eight as inclusive ed coordinator. Then I became an administrator and I had the opportunity to go to the high school where these two school communities merged. And I don't know if there is another administrator in our school district who has had that same experience that when I knew nothing about teaching in a high school, which is about the challenge I'm going to talk to about you next, <laughs> but that when I walked down the hallway in a nine to twelve school, I could probably say good morning to seven out of ten kids that came. My so let way. me get this straight: you followed uh, through your yeah. own choices and not yep. this group or the these pockets of kids as they went up from kindergarten yep. and then all the way up to yeah. great. That must have been fascinating. Yeah. To so see when them I grow. was yeah, so my first year at the high school. Uh, the kids that were in grade 12 were my very first group of kids that I taught <laughs> kindergarten. And my own two kids are in that group too. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's for sure. Uh, when I look back on my career, that's for sure one of the biggest gifts that I was given. Having said that, uh, moving to the high school was probably also the biggest challenge that I ever had. Uh, uh, elementary trained, uh, most of my experience in primary K1, um, but really had a, a great opportunity to bring my experience with PLCs and some of the early Agile Schools methodology to a new context of the high school. And they were really thirsty and really wanting uh, some structure related to um, the, what they were calling PLCs at that time. So it was really challenging because I had a really hard time wrapping my head around the concept of a high school and that I didn't, what was I going to tell a teacher of physics or a, a math 31 teacher? What did I have to contribute to that conversation? But what I learned about, about that and about myself is that it wasn't about the content, that it was more about the process by which we could improve student learning. So while it was a challenge, in the end, it turned out to be the biggest growing. Um, and I'm so thankful, so, so thankful that I had that opportunity to be at the high school for that. <laughs> And so we're not that far actually removed. Is that what you're saying? There, no, there's not no, so no. much different between the kindergarten teacher and the high school you teacher? You know what? It, there, it's not, Corey. And I'll tell you what. I've always said this now. Kids are kids and learning and le is learning. And it doesn't matter. Kindergarten, grade 4, grade 8, grade 12. It doesn't matter. There are things that uh, connect through all the years. And good teaching is good teaching no matter what the grade is. All right, next we're going to do the lightning round. I'm going to ask you seven questions, and the idea here okay. is to answer them as quick as you can okay. with an answer that is um, quite quick. Okay. So first one, best teacher app or website that you use? Pinterest. Book that you quote, refer to the most, and you work in a Catholic school, so you can't use the Bible. All right. Oh, darn it. Uh, Visible Learning by Hattie. Uh, city or place that you most want to visit? Sydney, Australia. Does your experience with learning sprints impact other areas of your life? Yes, it does. Like what? Uh, just, well, taking things and breaking them down to the smallest size possible in order to find a solution quickly. One thing that you do every day that you think keeps you healthy or well? Watch Netflix. When did you know that teaching was for you? Grade five. 
And what organization or person would you say most inspires you? St. Teresa. Okay, that concludes the lightning round. Let's finish up today with uh, talking a little bit about the future. Um, Maybe let's start here right where we are. Um, Alberta has consistently shown, I think, over the last number of years that we have a pretty high-performing education system. And uh, some are a bit worried that we'll become complacent, that we're going to be just uh, okay, you know, we'll continue to to do good things, but we're not going to to take the next step. What do you think we need to do as a system in Alberta and perhaps even as, uh, as Canadians, as, uh, as a country to, to really get better from here. I think that you're right, Corey, that we, we do, we have one of the top rated education systems in the world. Um, but we can't get lazy with that. I think that there are a lot of other education systems that are picking up steam and that we have a lot to learn from them. And it's really hard as the cliche goes, to go from that good to great, right? I think if we are really intentional with the work that we are doing, new initiatives that come into our buildings and into our schools and into our classrooms, and really taking a look and taking stock of impact of all of those on students, sometimes for student well-being, but mostly for student learning, I think we really have to start evaluating some of those things and figuring out really what is the impact of the work that we're trying to do. Is it actually having the impact, the desired impact that we want? So moving from, I think what we have to do is move from good intention to actual impact in the practices um, that we are bringing to our schools. Great. Last question. You're about to travel to Australia. To talk about your experiences, um, about learning experience, about agile schools and everything like that. What, um, what are you hoping to, to accomplish on this trip? What are you hoping that, uh, the good people of Australia can, can maybe teach you or what are you hoping to learn from them? Well, I'm always open. I always have my ears open, my eyes open, because I think that within conversations, it can be the one little thing that can have, uh, that I can take back and share with another school in another school division in Alberta. So what I'm hoping to do as I have experience starting to uh, go around the province of Alberta and do some work with agile schools in implementing sprints, I'm learning about contexts that are different from my own contexts that are sometimes difficult, small schools being one of them, uh, high schools being another, um, specialized areas in high school, not your, um, core subjects, but maybe your drama, your fine arts, your CTS. What I'm hoping is that maybe we can make some cross-continental connections and networks between the work that we are doing with sprints here in Alberta and in Australia and forming like a super network so that maybe I can be help be a conduit between like context so that they can learn from one another in their sprints journey. That's great. Great. Well, have a, have a great trip. Thank you. I'm so and, excited. <laughs> and thank you so much for uh, talking to me today. You're welcome. It's been great. That's it for my conversation with Terry Lynn Guimond. If you would like to connect with her, her Twitter handle is at T L Guimond, G U I M O N D. 
For more information on learning sprints, there are a wide array of free tools and information at the Agile Schools website, which is www.agileschools.com. If you like this episode, connect with the Intersection Education uh, podcast on our website, which is www.intersectioneducation.com, or on Facebook or Twitter. It also helps us out when you rate and leave a review on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back soon with our next episode.